First, there was the collapse of the film industry, the Apple, Death Wish 3, over the top. Then when it seemed things couldn't get any worse, we got Cyborg. Canon Films, quickly closing its fist over the entire planet. Then we heard the rumors that the last podcasters were working on an episode that would end the year of canon and restore the world. Restore it? Why? I like the low budgets. I like the terrible acting. I like this world! Two kids looking for a new thrill. Steve. He is the most feared and powerful warrior. And Paul. A strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. But this time, the thrill went too far. Their target, Canon Films. The home of high-powered, high-voltage motion picture entertainment. With the screen's biggest spectacles, brightest stars, and boldest lineup of explosive entertainment. We're taking motion picture excitement over the edge and your box office over the top. Canon Films, and we're dynamite. And I just got to do this right now after that. <clears throat> all right. Okay. All right. So welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, Year of Canon. Uh, I am Paul, uh, doing my worst impersonation of uh, Fender, who is the main villain from uh, Cyborg. I, I, bravo, sir. Bravo. You surprised me with that, and I have to say, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> I may have, I, not not uh, spoiling anything, but I may have actually enjoyed it more than the movie. <laughs> that, that was my attempt at some character work there, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you've not seen the film Cyborg, just find the YouTube of like the first thirty seconds of it. You'll get a you'll get an interesting intro to the film. What's impressive though is that he did it without contacts in. Yeah, I know. I I, my, I didn't have these super like crystalline blue contacts that <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so yeah, it's it's our year of canon. It's actually our last year of canon that we're going to be talking about on the show. We're wrapping up the year. Um, so you, that that fun intro that we always have here. It's the last time you guys will hear it. That's sad. Um. But before we get to 1989 Cyborg and um, and what it is and what it is not, uh, Steve wanted to just barge in and, and bring some news to everybody. So we're going to talk about some news um, and we'll get to Cyborg. So Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, news at this point, but I, I, I did want to discuss uh, um, both discuss and play a game, a brief game. Uh, involving the new Ghostbusters trailer. Oh, I thought the game was knife in the eye because that's what <laughs> happened on Cyborg. Um, so yes, there is the new trailer that was put out for Ghostbusters Afterlife, and um, I don't know what you're going to talk about directly about it. I think the trailer was like it was good, and I'm interested. What pisses me off is the internet reaction of finally the sequel we deserve. It's like, god damn it! It just it just. <laughs> Calm down. It's a Ghostbusters film, and it looks like it's going to be fun and interesting. Be happy. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I begrudgingly liked it. Like, I <laughs> Wait, you're just like, I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to like. Oh, this is kind of Paul Rudd. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I just I just the amount of like shitty, you know, girls can't be Ghostbusters bullshit that was running around for yeah. all of 2016, and you know, while I like that movie a great deal, and I, I it's 
it's not the original. I can admit that, but I did like it, and I think that people didn't give it a fair shake, and I was just like <sighs> tired of fandom overall. Yeah, which I realize is again pot calling the kettle black because next week we're going to be talking about Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, and then the, I'll be this like, show exists because we like things and want to talk about yeah. them. So I guess I guess we are part of the disease, but we're the better part of the disease. That's <laughs> but, that's our new tagline. Invasion of the podcast. We're not that bad. Uh, like the rest of the disease plaguing you. What's interesting to me is is that uh, I was I was sitting down. I was like, oh, I'm I'm probably not going to like this. It's just not going to be for me. And I have to admit it kind of got me and i'm like oh this looks like fun uh i like the you know the setting it doesn't feel like it's just being the first two ghostbusters movies like they're moved it completely out of new york city yeah, and, and probably something a, that the remake should have done too is maybe just like we're gonna have ghostbusters and let's just tell our own story versus yeah. trying to serve two masters which is i think the frustration of why some people are like well you can't do that it's like whatever but this is like the middle of nowhere i don't know where it is it's someplace with like cornfields i don't know yeah. um, not new york city not new york city. yeah <laughs> um unless it's the rumble of the bronx uh new york city yeah uh, it could also be the escape from the bronx new york city where it's just a pile of rubble <laughs> and you just have like you know street gags wandering around with like spiky fingers and roller skates i don't know um but uh, yeah, what I, I what I liked about the trailer was that uh, uh, it surprised me in ways that I didn't expect to be surprised. So I was I was very okay with that and very happy about that. I will say that you know the two trailers that came out uh, Sunday and Monday, one was Wonder Woman, one was Ghostbusters. I thought Wonder Woman just looked okay. I, I maybe it's because it's a sequel and they're holding things back but no, i just steve just say it you're angry that there's a woman that's a hero yes that's, the that's exactly what it is no i <laughs> no you're mad because Kristen wigs in that and because of your hate for the new ghostbusters yes, that's... that's exactly you're like oh not her again that's some real uh yeah. you know uh six uh, degrees of kevin bacon yeah. oh you're gonna there. bring in melissa mccarthy aren't you you <laughs> sons of bitches <laughs> no i just i was expecting to be wowed by uh um, Kate McKinnon's The Invisible Plane. Like it's just gonna be, it's gonna get weird. I would be okay with that. <laughs> Especially get in and people try to get in this plane. It's not there, and they keep falling through. It's like no, no, it's right there. Um, no, I just I like I'm excited for Wonder Woman eighty four because I, I like the idea. And this is not the conversation we're going to get into. I'm sorry that Patty Jenkins like it doesn't have to be a sequel. As in this is Wonder Woman two. It's just Wonder Woman in a different, like, moving forward or a timeline. So it's like it's like when we talk about, like, um, the Indiana Jones franchise, there are sequels, but it isn't Indiana Jones 2. It's just Indiana Jones and another adventure. Right. So I like that approach, that, that mentality of, like, we're just telling another story. Like, this doesn't have to follow the rules of the first movie or whatever. It's like, this is just a different Wonder Woman movie. This one's in 84. And I know there's been a lot of this retro love for, like, 80 stuff, including Ghostbusters. I, I so far I'm getting a good vibe from the movie, and it's like because I like the first Wonder Woman, so why wouldn't I be excited for this one? Yeah, it wasn't that I look. I walked away from it going like, "Oh, that looks terrible" or anything like that. I just of the two trailers coming out, mm -hmm. I was like, I was expecting to. Well, I think the bar was set really low for Ghostbusters for you because of uh, that's fair. Everything else around it. I think also the fact that part of the 1984 trailer decided to um, focus on the fact that it's in 1984 and the fact that like hey we're going to a mall which we just done in stranger things yeah. where it's like 
they overloaded you on the nostalgia for a mall. So, okay, <laughs> what was it 84 when the original Ghostbusters came out? Yes, it was. So wouldn't it be really funny if they went to a, a screening of Ghostbusters in the middle of Wonder Woman 84? That it's would like, be oh, funny. Oh, there we go. You guys, everything just jam-packed in there, you know? <laughs> um. But, uh, yeah, I was just surprised by, like, I, ex- I expected to be gushing over Wonder Woman, and I'm not gushing over Ghostbusters. My gushing is like, all right, I'm in. Like, yeah, I, you know, I'm not saying it looks like it's going to be amazing. I'm not saying that it's the movie we deserve. I just, I was like, oh, well, I kind of didn't think I was going to like this, but it's it's got me intrigued. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. It did its job, at least I'm interested. Yeah. And I guess, to be fair, I was going to see, I'm, I'm going to go see Wonder Woman, even if they did not put a trailer out. If it just showed up in the theaters, I'd be like, ooh, Wonder Woman 2, I'm going to see that. No, Wonder Woman 84, Steve, it's not a sequel. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, just, we just talked about that. All right. Wonder so, Woman part 1984. Wonder Woman's, it's multiple Wonder Wonder <laughs> Woman's. Wonder Women. It's like alien. It's like the sequel to a- like Aliens. It's just multiples. That's fair. Yes. All right. Uh, so you have a quick game here. Wonder Woman Cubed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just a quick game here. It's called uh, uh, Who You Bustin'? And uh, basically what it is, is uh, these are news stories, and you have to guess who the ghosts are that you're going to be busting. Okay. Okay. So uh, bear with me, people. I know that I am not so great on the mic. I'm even worse when I have to read something, so I apologize. You're pulling the curtain back on all this, Steve. People, people love you. Your <laughs> yeah, voice but and everything. I'm, you know, stumbling over my words. All righty. So first one here. Reports have come in about a haunting at a small apple orchard near San Francisco. Many guests, many guests claim seeing a specter wandering the orchard in a turtleneck sweater. One employee stated while working in the fields, he would often listen to music, but every now and then his music would inexplicably, inexplicably cut out and change to U2. He usually had to turn off his music since the music would not let him go back to what he was listening to before. Other guests have reported that while they find many oddly marked up items in the gift shops that are ringing up like 1999, or I'm sorry, 1900. See, this is what I meant about not being able to read. I can't read numbers. $1,999.99 for one apple pie or an apron in the shape of a Macintosh tree for their seasonal event in in this fall year on sale for $1,200. (laughs) But last year's aprons are still hanging up at $789. Many of the orchard staff and guests are asking, who are you going to bust? I'm going to guess Steve Jobs, and it's an iGhost. It is. It's it's Steve Jobs. He's going to be like, ooh, you guys, the, the earbuds, right? You're going to lose <laughs> them. Now we're going to charge you for cords so you don't lose them because you guys were upset that we just stopped making headphones that actually had cords. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who thought people would just lose those right away? Everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So this next one here is a, a local school outside of Glendale, California, has reported unusual activity with the roads surrounding the school. Many parents are getting cited for speeding tickets as they are going 125 in a school zone when they're arriving to drop off their children. One parent, Tammy Richards, said, I don't know what happened. One minute I was taking my son to school, and then the next I'm coming to a screeching halt outside the school. I don't even know how to drift. The school's speeding <laughs> ticket okay. has reached Keep going. Uh, a staggering count. That's what they. That's also what this ghost was thinking at the time. Keep going until it wasn't. <laughs> I don't. I lost my spot. I'm sorry. Uh, the school's speeding ticket count has reached a staggering count at 13 now. 
That's a crazy <laughs> amount," said one concerned parent who was accepting <clears throat> after the the first two. At some point, people need to stop throwing their money away at thirteen. It's it's just too much. Local law enforcement local law enforcement issuing these tickets say they have been a ghastly there has been a, seen a ghastly spook emerging from a car right before they give the ticket. Officer Vincent Rick is usually on hand <laughs> at the school zone. And here's what he had to say. He says, it was crazy. The guy came out of the roof of the car, and he just floated out. He had a blue varsity letter jacket on, and it looked like the top of his head was cut open and his brains all scooped out. I don't know what that was, but I was thinking this ghost is about as crazy as a T-Rex running around. Who are you going to bust? Paul Walker. That is correct. It is Paul Walker. And, and, and Officer Riddick, you don't trust him for daytime duty because he has eye shine. He needs to only be available at nighttime when he can actually see because he has sensitivity with his eyes. <laughs> That's quite true. All righty. Uh, we've only got two more to go here. Um, so uh, this next one here, ghosts have been tormenting people all over the globe. A small town outside of Wales in the UK has reported sightings and stranger things related to phantom activity. Residents say that large sets of tea have been randomly placed on the, out on the tables at different times of the day. It's really puzzling, but not that inconvenient, said one homeowner. Other homeowners, not so lucky. One man began receiving checks in the, the mail made out to a non-profit for AIDS research. At first, I thought it was a mistake. But then I began receiving large boxes of equipment for these huge clean water machines, said Winston England. <laughs> what am I going to do with all this stuff? It's filling up my backyard now. I thought it was a prank, but then I saw the specter on my laptop. When I ran over, poof, it vanished. It vanished, but there on my laptop were all these Facebook groups for meetups at my house to start planning a non-profit construction company to start building homes for the homeless. Can't say they meet somewhere. Can't they meet somewhere else? Some homeowners are even scared for their life. John Stonecastle, a freelance photographer, says, I fear for my life every morning. I get up, I have breakfast, and then I go to my car. Some days it's not so bad, but on, <clears throat> but others, the ghosts chase me down the street. It starts in the kitchen and chases me out to the garage with my cameras. I have in... Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it chases me out to the garage with the cameras, and I have have in my office flashes are going off like crazy the damn spook broke like eight of them i've had to replace many as it i had to replace many of them as it likes to throw them at me twice the cameras followed me down the street i ran over my neighbor's trash can in a panic this thing has to go so who are you gonna bust oh this is tough um princess diana yes oh okay all right, because I, I, I really I, butchered that one. No, but. yeah, I, no. Like, these are all well-written stories that you're, um, you know, that you you didn't write yourself and are now reading out loud. That's, so that's <laughs> it's pretty great. So yeah. All right, so this last one here: a local hospital outside Columbus, Ohio, has been taking a few problems of the ethereal kind. Doctors have said it all started in the break room one day. Small creamer cups began floating around the room near the coffee maker. At first, it was just spooky and strange. Then, in the middle of a surgery, you see the creamer just floating up out of nowhere and behind the nurse's head, said Dr. Elizabeth Payne. The poltergeist activity continued for about a month uh, for, uh, for, bleh, for a few months one time. 
Mario Gino remembers. He says, it started in the break room. It just started in the break room. <laughs> First the creamer and then the, the Kool-Aid. One of the uh, doctors would always make a bunch of pictures of Kool-Aid, and every time it would find its way smashed against the wall in the break room with such velocity, you'd think it was trying to go through the wall. <laughs> a lot of the activity was a little annoying, but things took a violent turn the day staff got new scrubs. We got these scrubs in the summer that were red and blue, recalls Dr. Lynn Hewlett. One of the RNs one day j- just went flying across the hallway and landed on his back. He got tossed around for a good three minutes, I think, before it looked like the ghost had stopped him. It was bad. One doctor refuses to go back to work after there were bone saws flying around the <laughs> ER and sticking into the walls. And the, <laughs> the hospital needs some help. So who oh, are you going to bust? Oh, okay. So you you uh, laid the trap. I almost fell into it. At first, because... Uh, I don't know. I was going to say Lisa Left Eye, Left Eye Lopez of TLC, um, but that's not right. Uh, it is Randy the Macho Man Savage. That is correct. Yeah, and I know you're talking. The creamer thing makes more sense now. Like it was, uh, yeah. I, I don't get that reference at all. I, there was a promo he cut once where he was just uh, like with creamer, all so right. I know that. So um, so the reason I, I brought this up and poorly read them uh, over the uh, again the airwaves because um, we're in an old we're live yeah we're it's live it's live. just uh, we're we have a five hertz uh, frequency uh, we're just broadcasting shortly outside my apartment but uh, these were sent to me by an old favorite around these parts a one Mr Joe so Peters. so Mr Joe Peters who. Uh, uh, he uh, he'd also submitted to me some Black Friday deals that uh, that came in after our Black Friday um, uh, game. Um, so so you did not write these. He did. Yeah, he he sent them to me, and he's like, I know Paul likes to be surprised in the show. And when I agreed to him, I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds like fun. And then I realized, oh god, I've got to read these, and they're really long. <laughs> Um, Those were fun. They were a lot of fun. I thank Joe for sending them to me. I also apologize beforehand. I'm like, I'm probably going to butcher this. So Yeah, we'll tell him to to write more better words next. No, that was fun. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I I thought it was nice. It didn't really fit in with this week's theme. Nope. (laughs) Not with uh, a year canon, but I still appreciate that. Uh, Considering that most of our weekend talks take about 20 minutes, this is where we're at. So, um, yeah, and just, you know, Steve and I already had an hour-long talk before we started recording about Star Wars because it's what we do. I've been working my way through the prequels, and just I'm watching, just real quick, I, because of Rise of Skywalker, that's going to be our next episode, I decided to go through and watch the series again. Like, But like, how how do you feel about like the different like things out there? Everyone's like, that's the machete order. you got to do it this way, blah, 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 blah. I think people are overthinking it. Like, Yeah, I mean, part of it is just the fact that like I'm always going to say, you know, watch four, five, and six, and then whatever order you want after that. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, if, some, if, if someone's how... never watched uh, Star Wars before, I think watching those three first would make more sense, because then if you go back to the prequels, it's like it's all laid out in front of you, so there's no big surprise. Mm-hmm. But I've watched all these before, so I'm just watching them chrono- uh, you know, chronologically in the order in which they're supposed to have happened. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't see how that's a bad way to go. Like, just... Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's the, the way that I... I have also been revisiting them. I've uh, watched uh, through uh, Return of the Jedi, uh, and so I've still got to revisit Force Awakens and uh, the other the one that should Jedi. not be named. No, um. <laughs> well, no, I've got to revisit. I guess the only one that I left out of there is is I didn't watch Solo in that order, but I watched. <laughs> 
I watched episodes one and two one day. I watched um, episode three and Rogue One one day, and then I watched episodes four, five, and six last weekend. So I I kind of forgot putting to put Solo in there. But <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done. I just I, I did one, two, and three. Um, you know, uh, did, you know, the Rogue One and then Solo because I figured no, no, no. I did Solo and then Rogue One because that that makes more sense actually. Yeah, because like Solo would be before Rogue One because Rogue One butts up right against Episode yeah, Four. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. And then so I'm halfway through Episode Four again, which we talked about last year. Or, sorry, two years ago. No, it was a year ago. The year of the knockoff when yeah. we talked about Star Crash. Uh, and that, um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm getting my way through it. Um, so, uh, just a shout out because I know we're gonna be doing it like a big star Wars episode n- uh, next time, not necessarily next week, but we'll talk about that more when we get to the, end of the episode. Uh, um, El Goro on uh, Talk Without Rhythm is going through a lot of the Star Wars stuff. He just released an episode dealing with episodes one and two. Uh, he also is doing on his Patreon, he just covered the Star Wars Christmas special, which was fun to listen to because I know we talked about that last year on the show here with uh, Jeff Ritchie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the stuff of nightmares. So so El Goro is doing that. He also just recently released his Patreon exclusive episode for um, a Caravan of Courage, the Ewok film, that one of the made-for-TV Ewok films. So he's also going to be covering episode three and Solo next week. So if you guys want more Star Wars talk, check it out. You know, Obviously, he his game is much better than ours in terms of like his ability to talk about things and describe them. You know, yeah. um, so And then also, a shout-out to the Force and Sensitive podcast. Um, they're watching The Mandalorian and talking about it episode by episode. So check that out if you guys want a Mandalorian fix. So that's our Star Wars talk for this episode. Um, we keep dragging our feet. It's almost as if we don't want to talk about cyborg. (laughs) I just, I feel like my intro is all we need to talk about. So, all right, we're going to talk about 1989 cyborg. We're going to wrap up our ear cannon here before we get to that though. Let's just listen to, uh, this mailing, mailing, this amazing trailer for cyborg. And then we'll talk about the film. Welcome to the world of the not-too-distant future. Get going! Go! A brutal gang is reshaping the world into their own vision of hell. And only one man can stop them. Jean-Claude Van Damme is leading the battle between good and evil. Take them out. As it's never been fought before. He's on a desperate mission to rescue a cyborg who holds the secret for saving the world. Why did you help me? I don't want to see you die. From the dust of destruction rises the warrior of a new age. Say goodbye, my friend. Jean-Claude Van Damme has become the first hero of the 21st century. Cyborg. I, I like that the music in that is kind of accurate to the film, but not at all accurate to the film. I'd also like to point out that... Uh... You know, Mr. Science Theater 3000 also takes place in the not too distant <laughs> future. future. <laughs> and so good. That's a great segue. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you're if you know why or not. So I will um, drop some knowledge on you. This is Cyborg. It's from 1989. Uh, it was released on April 7th, 1989. Uh, I just want to mention just some some nice facts about that time. Number one song was Eternal Flame by the Bangles. 
Okay, that makes um, sense. The very next week, though, and this is a bit of a sad it's thing. Makes sense. Like, no, no, it makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, you know, that lines up. Like you watch, you watch the movie. You're like, you know, what? I'm getting, I'm getting a Bangles vibe from all of this. You know, Jean Claude Van Damme uh, is burning that eternal flame. It was a different time. Back different, then. Yeah. Uh, no, the the very next week, the number one song would be Rock Sets the Look, oh. and we just found out that. Uh, yeah, the the one of the lead singers, I, I, her name fails me right now, just passed away from rock set. Yeah. So that's a bit sad. Just I just looked, I'm like, oh crap. So worthy of mention. Number one film when this film came out. So this premiered on a Friday on the seventh. So the number one film going into that weekend because the box office numbers change obviously was Major League was the number one film going into okay. that. So a story of that ragtag group of Cleveland Indians that were just trying to win enough to not get moved to Florida. And then later on, would lose the World Series to a team based in Florida. That, that's not in the movie, but that's what happened. So <laughs> uh, this was the last official theatrical release for Canon Films after going bankrupt in 87. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But we talked about the collapse of Canon as we went along. Uh, we did a pretty good job this year, and this is on me, uh, with with trying to like track the Canon from, like, you know, from the early 80s till now. They're, with us subbing it over the top. That didn't fall in line like chronologically. That's the word I'm looking for. But we did pretty good. So this is the tail tail end, right? Um, This is directed by uh, Albert Pyun, uh, which I want to mention. Directed Alien from L.A., which is uh, Mr. Science Theater 3000 episode. Actually, the very first one I ever watched. Okay. We talked. I think we talked about that before. So when you made the reference to MST3K, very appropriate. Um, He uh, he has an interesting career in the sense that like he had a lot of success early with like one big film that got a lot of accolades. And then he's kind of like, I don't know, been in this lane of like weird low budget films. And I'm, I'm, I'm belching. Cause I just, I am so gassy talking about Albert Pune and, and drinking, um, Sam Adams cherry week. Cause that it's not thematically appropriate. It's what I'm doing. He, he also directed 1989's captain America. Have you, did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, before we actually started getting good comic book movies, it wasn't bad. It was okay. Yeah, I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> um, I, I mean, gun to my head, if you're like, pick a, a, a bad, like, you know, comic book movie that you would rather watch than the Captain America movie, like, I'm going to go with, like, the Generation X TV TV movie, movie. you know, before I get to the Captain America. So, for me, it's not that high on the list. Um, Yeah, but it's, like, it's probably... It's not, like, Batman and Robin bad. It's more watchable than, like, Spawn. Like, I I would argue that, because at least it stays consistent throughout. Because it was low budget to begin with. Like, it didn't run out of money at the end and become, like, a CG mess. Yeah, I guess that's fair. The um, soundtrack response better, you know, but uh, yeah. But I know I I thought that movie like when I saw it originally, like this is well before we like like so also we should also point out that the number one film for 1989 was Batman, uh, Tim Burton's Batman, which I'm sure Steve was going to bring up and let everybody know like hey that this is the movie that everybody else was chasing. Um, so we had we had good examples of comic book films, but we didn't have like consistently good examples of comic book films. I mean, um, I would go with the Dolph Lundgren Punisher before I go Captain America. Fair enough, but I, I have not revisited this version of Captain America in forever. It's way better than like the '70s made-for-TV stuff they did, 
Um, and I like that they at least showed Red Skull for a second, and then they had to kind of like wave their hands at why because they didn't have the budget to keep showing him. You know, like, I, to be fair, I think you know maybe we should uh, you know revisit uh, like for instance when Black Widow comes out next year, or I think Eternals is the other Marvel movie because we yeah. we typically will do something leading into whatever the next Marvel release is. Maybe we can revisit that. I I would also like to at some point revisit the Corman uh, Fantastic Four and oh uh, the yeah. documentary uh, Doomed, which is. Fantastic. I would rather I've not seen the documentary I did I actually watched the Corman Fantastic Four and it's funny like at how much like they kind of get right and then how much they get absolutely wrong like I bought two um, bootlegs at comic book conventions over the years one of them was Star Wars the holiday special on VHS and which is just somebody taped it off their TV and then ripped it. Yeah. And then uh, the other one that I bought was the uh, a DVD. It was when I first got my DVD player, so it was like 2002. I went to a convention and they're like, "Oh, it's the Corman Fantastic Four on DVD," and I was like, "I gotta buy that." <laughs> yeah, it's now on YouTube. <laughs> you can just find it. But yeah, so Albert Pion did actually. He did the Captain America, and he also did another film called Nemesis, which I've talked about on the show Star previously. Trek Nemesis? Star Trek Nemesis. No, he did it like because when we were doing our year of knockoff, um, Nemesis was one of those ones that was brought up as a Terminator knockoff, and I watched it. And I was so underwhelmed by it that I didn't bother to write about it and decided to find a Western to write about instead to kind of make up for a blank spot from the year before that I was covering Westerns. I was so kind of bored with Nemesis the entire time that I'm like, there's nothing here to write about. Little did I know that that would be a foreshadowing going into Cyborg, uh, which he made Nemesis after Cyborg. So I think what's interesting is is that – and maybe it's unfair to him um, because I'm actually <laughs> I unironically really enjoy Ed Wood's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of looking over his filmography and looking at the things that he's made and just based on the films of his that I have seen, he feels very much like at least Ed Wood in the sense that like he's like, I don't need a budget. I can do these things like, yeah. you know, and I, it's interesting watching Cyborg and trying to figure out like how these sets were supposed to either figure into a Masters of the Universe 2 or Spider-Man movie, which I'm sure we're going to get into later. But yeah, like the definitely. Uh, trying to figure out like, all right, he cobbled this together. So I got to give him credit for that, where it's like he was taking bits and pieces of things that were left over from movies that didn't get made. He had to write a script. So I don't want to come on, down on him too hard, but I also get that feeling that he's very much of like a... Uh, I, uh, maybe Ed Wood's not the right um, you know, well, no, analogy. You, you but say the, that because people have compared him to Ed Wood in a lot of ways of just like the... I just I'm going to will this thing to his existence regardless of budget, and it's going to be done. And it may not, you you may not be satisfied with the end product, but I'm bringing you a film, and that's not such a bad thing. Um, but I will say that uh, I enjoy the work of Ed Wood more than I have so far. The, the work of Albert Pune that I've seen. <laughs> Fair enough. So I um so we'll we'll talk about the origin of the film a little bit, and we'll get more into the cast here in a second. So as you stated, um, this film was intended. Canon Films originally was going to make a sequel to He Man. Um, and, and sorry, Master's Universe, not He-Man, and also a live-action Spider-Man film. Albert Pune, I believe, was actually the one attached to the Spider-Man sequel, film, not sequel. 
Um, but then both projects were going to be shot. Actually, it says both were supposed to be shot by him. So he was supposed to do the, the Master Universe sequel and Spider-Man. Which is crazy. Like, yeah, doing two movies at once is... is, is there are very few directors who can do that well, let alone... Yeah, you know, and the, considering the, con- the like the content was vastly different in terms of one was supposed to be like sci-fi fantasy, the other one was supposed to be like you know superhero. I guess sci-fi a little bit. Right? I mean, like, I know that like Peter Jackson, like during Lord of the Rings, like he put on a ton of weight, like he basically like fell apart in a lot of ways because <laughs> of the workload. Yeah. Um, and I think about how Richard Donner, you know, filmed Superman and most of Superman two at the same time, and that nearly killed him. So like. I'm just trying to picture like what these two movies would have been and how this guy would have undertook both of them. Yeah, because um, um, they're so different in, in tone, and I'm I'm still trying to figure out how those sets were supposed to play into either of those films. Right. So uh, since Canon was collapsing financially because you know they kept you know shuffling their numbers around, like hiding all the bookkeeping, their their movies weren't making money. Like it's just the whole thing collapsed, right? Like uh like the book I had been reading for for this year of Canon, they they compared it to the Indian rope trick where, you know, the person would walk up the rope and they disappear and but everyone knows it's a trick forever. Everyone's like, Canon, how are they doing this? And it's like there has to be something going on. It was revealed it was collapsing, right? So because of this these films weren't being made, and they also lost their deals with Mattel and Marvel. Um, so uh, they had already spent two million on costumes and sets, which you had mentioned, for both films, and decided they so they decided that they, they got to make a movie just to recoup their money. Which I don't like. Of all of all the goofy decisions Canon has made, I don't blame them for being like, "Well, we spent this money, we need to make something." I don't blame them for that. That that's fair. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Pune wrote the storyline for Cyborg in one weekend. That should not surprise anybody if you watch this film. Yeah, and I mean that's the other thing Ed Wood could do was like he would write yeah. a movie in a weekend. He would write multiple scripts actually, and be like, "Oh, we got to find this found the stock footage of these yeah. buffaloes running around. <laughs> We're gonna figure it out." So Pion uh, had a Chuck Norris in mind for the lead, which that would have been a way different movie. And kind of, I kind of want to watch that <laughs> just to see him, just to see Chuck Norris like not giving a shit through the whole movie. Yeah. I kind of want to see Charles Bronson now in Cyborg. That's what I want. <laughs> um, but uh, Monaco Golan actually uh, cast Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, the whole film was shot for less than $500,000, aside from the $2 million it was already spent. Uh, it was filmed in 23 days. Again, if you watch the film, not a surprise. Uh, it was mostly shot in North Carolina. Again, if you watch the film, it's supposed to sub out for uh, New York and down the coastline, which I'm sure North Carolina counts, and then Atlanta, Georgia. Um, it doesn't surprise you. So um, the the chain mail that, and forearm guards that was worn by Fender, uh, the, the actor um, uh, Vincent Klein, or Klin, it's K-L-Y-N, I don't know how you pronounce that, who was a Fender Tremolo, who was the guy who I was mimicking in the beginning here, that was the costume that Blade wore in Master Universe. So part, parts of his costume is his costume. So that just shows some of the repurposing. But the rest of it, you're right. I don't know how that fits into Spider-Man or Master Universe. You know, I don't know. Um, it's like, hey, can we just have a pair of just sunglasses that, that look shittier and shittier as the movie goes on? Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I think in terms of sets, it was like, how did you guys spend $2 million? Like, <laughs> right? Like, how where much, did, how much of that went into the cocaine budget? Yeah, I, don't I don't know, understand. right? So, um, all right. Uh, so I just want to mention this because I... The internet's a amazing and terrible thing at the same time. So on Albert Pion's Wikipedia page, 
I'm just going to read this. I don't, I don't know why this has been added, but it's been sourced like three times. It said in late 2013, uh, Pune announced he had multiple sclerosis. That's bad. And I, I feel bad. Uh, in March, 20, uh, 2014, his health had improved enough for him to film another movie. And then, it, then it's the last sentence on his page. The last sentence is he also has dementia. Like, oh why, why is that on there? Like what? So like, okay. And it's referenced. It's like, okay. Like it was just, thanks. Thanks. Wikipedia. Anyway. Um, and that I'm not, I'm not going to make any jokes about that in regards to like his filmmaking or whatever, but it's like, really that needed to be added like i just yeah yeah, yeah. um so he used I mean, a yeah it's not like he and again i don't mean to make light of his condition but it's not like he's like an advocate for maybe he is and we're just unaware of it like, let, like if if you're talking about michael j fox you can you know you mentioned that you know he's uh, suffering from for like parkinson's, parkinson's yeah and, it's know, like it's okay that's fair his, yeah his life but like does that really need to be in his Wikipedia? Yeah, it's like he also has I dementia. Just... Be like, Albert Pune has consumption. Like, why? Right. What? Like, why? <laughs> like, every so often he'll cough blood into a rag. Like, I don't know what that has to do with his career, you know. But anyway, uh, so um, let, let's get into. Like, so I also want to mention uh, what I have here listed. I I I don't want to let it go that the music was done by okay, there's a Casio some, keyboard. You can't, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. By music was done by Lalo uh, Schifrin um, and Kevin uh, Basinson. Ba- Basinson, yeah. Um, there's some debate. Like on the Wikipedia page, it has Lalo Schifrin listed on um, the IMDb. He's not. Um, the reason I want to bring that up is because Lalo uh, uh, Schifrin. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Was the guy who created the theme to Mission Impossible. Yeah, he's. I was gonna say he's pretty notable. Like he's done a lot of great stuff, but then also a lot of terrible stuff. Um, he was also the conductor for a, uh, a mid seventies uh, Charles Bronson film called Telephone, which I had talked about on Strange Highways. Uh, so, and that score was absolute garbage. <laughs> so I can't blame him for writing it, but he conducted the orchestra with it. So gotcha. I mean, dude, you know, you're getting paid, right? But he conduct he composed the Mission Impossible theme. So I don't know what his involvement here was. Because I don't really feel like there was a whole lot of orchestral music. It was a lot of a Casio keyboard just being dropped repeatedly, I feel like, on the yeah. ground. Um, but uh, Kevin Basinson was the, the, the guy who was given the, the like the bigger credit of this. Uh, he only did actual – Kevin only did a few actual composing jobs. He's mostly known for music editing. So if you look at his page, he, he's still working and he does a lot of TV stuff. So the guy is actually like, like doing good work as a music editor, which I want to guess is like – you know, making sure things fit correctly with theming and pacing of, of shows and movies. Just, I guess, if he's left to his own devices, he just rolls his face over a Casio. Um, so, <laughs> so Steve, right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do something real quick here. Um, you're about to get into a fight, and you're, and you're about to pull out your paintball gun. That's your rifle, which that was what Jean Claude Jean Claude Van Damme's character was using was paintball gun. I did read that. Yeah. yeah, and here here's your action music. Tell me tell me how you're fighting. Come on, you gotta fight. What are you doing? Oh, I feel like I'm in slow motion right now. <laughs> uh, I'm in slow motion. Uh, I've got an angry look on my face. I'm all sweaty, and there's probably a kick coming. <laughs> and, and you're holding, you're putting a knife in your mouth the wrong way. That's also what you're doing. <laughs> um, so that music is just god awful. Like I'm not trying. 
we don't try to come in with the notion of, of tearing a movie apart. I know what the year of canon it's been like, well, let's just see what happens. Cause a lot of canon films are not good, but we wanted to see if there's value in them. And in this film, there might be some stuff to talk about that might be worthy. The score is not one of them. The score in this is one of the worst things I've ever heard. Um, and I'm going to now, I'm going to now stare into your eyes, Steve, and we're going to have a quiet moment. I feel like taking my shirt off. Yeah. I feel like I should stare at you and then have a bunch of dudes in a window staring at us. <laughs> as, uh, this is either like a Legend of Zelda like music or like early Final Fantasy. Or here's the hot take. This sounds like some Are You Afraid of the Dark shit that goes on in every episode. I feel like I'm being loaded into a basket going down to well. <laughs> yes. Held yeah, together by barbed wire. Barbed wire, yeah. Um, Ugh, the music of this is terrible. It is it is certifiably terrible. Like I and like not even in like the fun ironic way. So I was gonna save this for the end of the episode, yeah. but I'll just say it now. Um because the music it feels exactly the same. So I brought up Mystery Science Theater three thousand earlier, um, and there is a movie that they did I think it I think it's like 97 or 98 it's uh uh definitely the mike years it's called future war i've seen that okay it, yeah it's the one with supposedly with the dinosaurs right it's got dinosaurs but it also has a like poor man's jean-claude van damme it's a guy yeah. who kind of looks like him can kind of do spin kicks. jean-claude van darn yeah and uh van dang the score is almost identical to cyborg it's very much the same score oh i i've seen i've seen the mst3k episode i don't remember anything about it which not on them it's just the film you know yeah. um yeah so it's, that, that's a good it's call an amazing low budget bad movie and uh it's 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 probably in my top 20 of uh favorite mst3ks uh, Fair so enough. if if you're well I'll, I'll save it for my, my hot take at the end but if you had a choice between watching the two I don't know which one I'd go with. <laughs> it would be yeah. Future War. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, the cast we got Jean Claude Van Damme as Gibson Rickenbacker. Um, all, Do you all, think he had like just like a you know a catalog open with uh, different musical instruments? And mean, he was just like Albert Peel was like, I like music instruments. I'm going to name everybody after something, yeah. probably. I mean, so that tells you that there was like purposeful choice in some of this, you know, like so. There, there's, there's something to, to enjoy there where it's like, I'm going to name this stuff after like music brands and instruments. And then we have uh, uh, Deborah uh, Richter as uh, Natty Simmons, uh, who I believe was the, the the blonde lady in through the middle part of the film. I, I, I'm not trying to be dismissive of her, but she had nothing to do in the movie other mm-hmm. than to nag um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's character and, that, and, then, and then die for like, Oh, you're gone. You're dead. That's it. Like, yeah. I feel like, like, whatever. And her nude scene. You, That's kinda, the only reason. The she weird, was in the there. weird yeah. nude scene that we, yeah. And so she had actually done a lot of TV work before this. She was in Hill Street Blues. So she had actually had been an established person. And then after this, like, it kind of tapers off. I don't know why. Um, so, uh, Vincent Klein is, uh, uh, Klein as Fender Tremolo, who I, you know, we talked about already, D- has done not a lot of acting. Um, has a very distinct voice, which you heard in the trailer where it's like, get him or whatever he said. He was in point break. He was one of, um, uh, uh, Patrick Swayze's crew, uh, yeah. a character named war child. I've not seen point break in forever, but he was in that. So I just want to point out that the, the lies people went on to do other things after this, uh, uh, Dale Haddon as Pearl prophets, who I believe was, uh, the, uh, the, the, the cyborg of note in the film. Uh, <laughs> 
Pearl Prophet, it's a combination of a drum something or other. Anyway, more music instruments. Only thing I'll say about her, she was in a film, 1976's uh, Spermula, which sounds like a softcore porn version of Dracula, and she played the character of Spermula. So I don't know what that is. We're not watching it for the show. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, That's you next week. It. Yes. <laughs> Better than Cyborg. <laughs> Better soundtrack. No. Uh, we have uh, Alex Daniels as Marshall Strat. Uh, he was the guy at the beginning that was trying to get the cyborg off the safety, and he ended up getting killed pretty quickly. A lot of stunt work. The guy's still working, so I can see why he was brought into this. Uh, Blaze Luong uh, as Furman Vox. I have nothing for them. I just like the name. Ralph Moeller as Brick Bardo. Um, he was one of the thugs. I, I, I honestly thought he was a body double for Schwarzenegger and some stuff. That's not who I was thinking of. The guy who was in um, Reanimator the big dead corpse they brought back first. That's the body double for Schwarzenegger and a lot of stuff. I forget that actor's name. Oh God, I'm blanking on it. Too. I thought I, it, for whatever reason, this is a very German name and he's a big dude. I'm like, that has to be the body double. And it's not him. Uh, he was in beer fest, you know, so I've good. never seen beer fest. Yeah, you're not missing much. I like, I like, I like broken lizard. I'm not a big fan of that movie. Uh, I just want to mention here. Um, Haley Peterson is Haley, who I think, um, she was the the dark haired woman in the flashbacks that was with um, with Jean Claude Van Damme that had this music going on underneath it when they're just staring at each other. Anyway, anyway, she's only known for one movie that's Cyborg, and that's it. Wow. Um, so I, I just don't think wanna, she had any lines in. Not movie, really. Did she? she had like a couple, I think, okay. but that's about it. But I. But again, here's what's on, on IMDb. The internet's amazing. Haley Peterson. It's her actual name. So she played a character named Haley. Does she have dementia? Yeah, she has dementia. Now, um, Haley Peterson was born June 9th, nineteen sixty eight, in North Carolina, USA. What? Like what? North Carolina. We know that's already part of USA. <laughs> didn't give it. Didn't give a city. Takes um, a swerve. North Carolina. China. She is, she is an actress known for Cyborg. She is married to Dale. They have three children. <laughs> That's all. Like, is Dale like Prince? I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and then there, so that's like, whatever, like there's a lot of people, actually, there's not a lot of people in this. There's a lot of people that double as like gang members because yeah. the, the budget is so low on this. Um, I do yeah. like the idea. I think I'm going to start doing this for my next comic, uh, naming people after things that I like, like I like food. So yeah. like maybe a character will be like Smucker's McCheese. Smucker's McCheese. Oh, <laughs> Oh no! Oh look, it's Funyun Hot Pocket. Like, <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Oh, I, I forgot to do this beginning of the episode. Um, we talked last episode about our favorite cookies, and you yeah. mentioned that your go-to is always Oreos. Yeah. And I talked about how, like, there we you, you mentioned like the the El Fudge. How you like you like you never had like those like forever. And I was like the double stuff, right? So I found something today at the store <laughs> that I want to present to you. Uh oh. Um, is- is this going to become some sort of weird show where it's just about me eating? Yeah, oh no, no, God. it's not. It's what I've brought to you is a family size uh, <laughs> thing of Oreo because Oreos are amazing, but it's not just double stuff. It's mega stuff. It's mega stuff. I don't know how big the stuff is in between I the portions know. of the That's Oreos. Interesting. I didn't think that we had the science to make this happen. <laughs> like, I know we put a man on the moon, but can we make mega stuff Oreos? Somehow so, they found the technology. Yeah, so that's for you. That's, oh, that's for thank you. <laughs> I meant to start that at the beginning, but you're like, we got to talk about Ghostbusters. I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> um, yeah. 
Um, I don't expect you to open and eat them right now because they'd be really loud and kind of still yeah. kind of fun. But mega stuff. Uh, mega yes. stuff. Yeah. It's, it's like when they found a way to put cheese in the crust of a pizza. Yeah. So you're, you're, so you're going to have a character called Oreo Mega Stuff. Is what's <laughs> <gonna be> like. <laughs> yeah. It's, that would be great if everything's just named after food where it'd just be like, oh, I see what's going on, Gordito Taco Bell. Like, oh, no. You know. Um, so, all right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the, when the film came out, which actually, you know what? I, I, do we want to talk about like the premise of the film before we get into like some of the more the the actually what happened with the film? I mean, the premise is basically it's post apocalyptic world. Uh, there's a plague of some sort, which they don't really no. embellish on, nope. other than it's a plague. It's a plague. Um, Jean Claude Van Damme or Rickenbacker is a. Uh, <laughs> it makes me think of Orville Redenbacher. <laughs> <I know. laughs> He's uh, he's known as a slinger, which is essentially a uh, um, mercenary or a person who works for hire, getting people across the the. the Supposedly, United it's supposed States. to be a shortened of the statement of gunslinger, so yeah. it's like a gun for hire. It's never explained in the film. Um, there's Piona actually ended up getting control. He gets he actually got. Uh, a copy of the film and the footage later and has now released like his own director's cut of it. Yeah. I um, kind of wonder like, and it's called slinger and you can buy it from him directly. And it explains that a little bit. I don't know if it adds to the movie at all, but whatever. I, I, there's part of me that's curious to know what that director's cut is. And then there's part of me that never wants to see it. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, somehow, uh, Rickenbacker, Redenbacker, um, uh, he's just a popcorn man on the, in this hellscape. Uh, he, comes across this this woman getting accosted by people and he stops it because he's a decent human being or whatever and then she's like oh by the way is he though like, i don't know i, don't... I really don't know yeah and she's like oh by the way i'm a cyborg and i can trust you because i have graphics on my eye that just show up and i can just, i i seized i sized you up and you're a good person um and it says you have a 95 percent probability of like doing split kicks and he's like that's true um and she's like, I've gotten this information while we're in New York, and it, it could cure the plague, and I need safe passage to Atlanta, of all places. I don't know why. Uh, maybe because the filming, you know, the credits down there are better. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> um, so he starts to, like, you know, like, provide passage for her, but then he gets jumped by um, sunglasses and the boys, and he loses her. And... Someone else sees that and was like, oh, hey, you, you should care about that because she has the cure for the plague. And it's like, it's just the motivation for him to be like, you know what? We're going to do it. It's like, it, it just comes out of nowhere, right? That's what it, that's what it feels like where he's just like, well, you know, my calendar's free. We could, we could, we could catch up to these guys. I got nothing planned. It, it is a hellscape. What else am I going to do? Yeah, I, I don't want to get too further along in the movie, but uh, there is a point when he does catch up with her and offers to like <laughs> escort her the rest of the and way. She's like, no. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> I'm like, wait, like, what did this movie just become again? It's just like, she's like, oh, well, I'm better off with these guys. And then once we get down to Atlanta, like, then we can t- totally take care of this problem of sunglasses. Sorry, Fender. Uh, fin- like crashing the boys we can like deal with them uh you know and it's just like oh well that needlessly moves this forward you know yeah, yeah. uh i will say that uh i kind of enjoyed the uh what little special effects there were with the cyborg 
They're very low tech, but I kind of enjoyed that, uh, at least that element of it, because there isn't a whole lot else going on visually in the film. <laughs> That's true. Um, so there's a moment where, like, she pulls back, not her scalp, but her hair, basically. It's, just, it's, like, it's very just, weird. Like, there's no, she's like, I'm a cyborg. By the way, there's an entire combustion engine in the back of my head <laughs> with, like, gizmos and lights. And it's like, that seems like a, like a safety hazard because she was human. Yeah. And was turned into a cyborg where they're like, we're just going to chop off the back of your skull and just put a Commodore 64 in the back of your head. And good luck with that. And this, your hair is not going to protect it from all damage. Like you sleep on that the wrong way. You're deleting yourself. That's all that's what's happening. We know that. <laughs> and it's like, if there's a hard rainfall, you're dead. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did enjoy that aspect of it. Um, and then there's a shot later in the film too, where we see like her eyeball come out of, <laughs> yeah, and it's know. very low tech. It's very oh, like, yeah, old school visual effects on a very low budget. But I enjoyed it because it was at least it had some visual flair to it, which is kind of a way of me, you know, giving the film credit, but also taking it away because one of the things that the film does, it's. It's not very visually interesting is the best way of putting it. So <laughs> that, that when there are bright, bright spots like that, it helps at least go, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, this felt like – so watching this and seeing the the really low-tech like eye bulging out and whatever, it's like, there's times where it made me feel like we we're watching – like going back to the year of the knockoff where it was like – this is like Italian as all get out. Like is what it felt yeah. like to me. Um, and it's not, it's very much American, but it's like, it feels like this, like there was a bit where, um, that after she revealed, she was a cyborg to Van Damme's character of, you know, um, you know, Gibson Redenbacher, um, whatever, uh, that, there was a bit where she had the wig off and like her face was reacting to everything. And it was like, it was, it was, it was laugh out loud funny. Like, yeah. and it's like, I get that that was trying to do something like to like make it different, but it's like, you know, that you only have $500,000 and you could, you could get the point across that she is a carrier for information, probably a lot cheaper and more efficient. And you could have used that money for other spots in the film. Yeah. Um, just even giving her like an access port or something like just something like, like giant mnemonic where it's like, it's in my head, just trust me or something like it's like, but they had to go and show you this stuff. And it's like, I get it. It was like, Oh, it's a sci-fi movie, but it's like, if you can't do it well, then you don't have to do it. Yeah. And I feel like it was really handcuffed because I get what they're going for, but it looks so bad. I will say that I give the movie credit in the sense that, uh, uh, up until this viewing of the film, uh, which at this point it's a 30-year-old movie, I was completely unaware that Jean-Claude Van Damme was not the cyborg until I started watching the movie. <laughs> I just assumed it's called Cyborg. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He's There's the star of the film. He's yeah. got to be the cyborg. And it's not. And it's weird, right? Yeah. It should be like... Um, I met a cyborg. I saw a cyborg once. <laughs> it should be <laughs> like, uh, you know, um, no, like the whole thing is her, her character. And she's gone for long, like large sections of the film. And yeah, I would say she's maybe got 10 to 15 minutes screen time at most. Yeah. And so like the whole thing then is because you got uh, uh, Fender and his gang of, um, you know, oddly named instruments. Uh, they, so the whole thing is like with this plague that's taken over the world and has like wrecked everything. 
he has now found out that this this lady who is now a cyborg has the ability to carry this information from New York to Atlanta where scientists are working on a cure. And he's like, well, yeah, I don't want that to change. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to Atlanta so I can figure out where the scientists are and have control of the cure myself, I think was his whole intent. Or just because I, I think if he wanted the world to stay the same, why not just destroy her? That feels like that'd be the easiest way to deal with things. But hey, I'm not making this movie. I didn't write it over a weekend, you know. <laughs> but then, so the, the the movie becomes like this attempt at like a uh, like um, a travel log type of thing where you have uh, uh, you know uh, Rickenbacker and he ends up meeting somebody along the way the, the the blonde lady that I feel I'm not trying to minimize her. I just she's so forgettable. Uh, and she keeps trying to nudge him along morally because she's like, well, if, if this cyborg has the cure for the plague, then you should be more interested in actually saving the world type of thing. And I get, they try to do that. Cause at one point they end up at like, like a hobo camp where there's one person who's dying of the plague. And, and she's like, see it, you know, it's, it's basically like now it's real to you. And it's like, I'm pretty sure he's probably seen people die of the plague before this. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you don't ever get that notion that this becomes important to him. You do get, you do get the backstory, which again, this is back to back months of us watching a Jean-Claude Van Damme film that has long flashbacks. I was actually going to bring that yeah. up. Uh, when I was watching it, I'm like, yeah, well, admittedly it's a long flashback in blood sport because it's all within one chunk. Yeah. This just keeps this, going. Yeah. <laughs> the flashback in this movie literally almost lasts until the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. So we keep cutting back and forth between his flashback and the current day story. But we find out that he actually has like a like a reason to be seeking out Fender. It's because as a slinger, he was hired to like move a family, like a mother and two, like a daughter, two daughters. No, it was a daughter and a son. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and get them to like say it's a safe haven. And they found like this house wherever and it looks nice squatters enough. right squatters rights right so they find a house like you know on the like you know the okay side of cleveland that's not true um because it looks like it's like oh you know what I, i've seen that house before and so, <laughs> uh, and then like they start farming and things and it's like you know you can stay with us and i like how in the flashback you know it's a flashback because he has like bangs <laughs> <laughs> yeah the wig is not so good in that scene no. And so uh, Fender and his, his crew show up and they terrorize everybody. And there's actually a moment that's actually quite horrific. And I'm in, in some ways, I'm glad they didn't like like exploit it. But some in some ways, I wish they would have went further with it, mm-hmm. which is they use a well, which we talked about already. At one point, we we're talking about like the fight scene about being in a well um, where uh, Van Damme's character is actually wrapped in barbed wire with the the woman in the flashback and her son, who is a young young kid, and they're all held together by this barbed wire twined in this well, and they have like the barbed wire acting as like a rope that they've put in the hands of the young daughter. And Fender looks at her and was like, if you want to save them, you got to hang on. And so then they let go of the the complete barbed wire and let the weight get into her hands. And they don't show it, which is probably a good thing. But you can tell that the barbed wire just tears through her hands and, and then the three of them plummet at the bottom of the well. Um, that scene could have been really interesting and effective. It just every chance they had to do that, it just didn't work. You know, and and reading some notes about the film, uh, Albert Pune was actually inspired by a lot of westerns for because he viewed this as a western in the sense of like you have like the gun for hire and he's like following these bad guys, and he they one of the his influences is Once Upon a Time in the West, which I know Steve you've not seen, which has 
you have, have you seen it or no? No, I've not seen it. Has it has Chuck Bronson in it. He plays a character called Harmonica, and you find out that he has a backstory and he has a reason to go after the main bad guy. And you find out, um, spoilers, this movie's over like 40 years old, that um, he was, um, as a kid, he was actually made, uh, what was that? If I remember, I can't remember exactly, but he was watching like his father get hung by this guy. And he actually had to like stand, I think, underneath him with his with with his his dad being supported by him standing under him. Mm. And there's this whole thing where it's like basically like the kid's going to get tired eventually, and his dad's going to die. And so he's been like on this like path of vengeance for the main character. So there's a lot of that you see there, you know, in terms of like the Fender has a reason to go. Sorry, not Fender, um, Rickenbacker. <laughs> Whatever guitar versus guitar, I don't know. Jean Claude um, Van Damme. Yeah, you got you got ukulele versus banjo. Um, so uh, anyway, so you have why Jean Claude Van Damme has a reason to go after Fender, and that that all is like that that could be an emotional resonance. It's just that every time this whole film, there's just I don't know how how it works though. But I just don't care at any at any point in the film, and I'm not I'm. I'm not trying to be negative in the sense of like, I'm going to tear this thing down. It's just, there was no point like there. The, so one of our favorite movies from last year with the year of the knockoff was, was hands of steel. Um, and that movie's dumb and ridiculous, but it had this weird energy to it that you're still kind of in like the entire yeah. time. This film could have been that. Yeah. But it never, every time you had the chance to actually do something compelling, it just never did it. Even whenever you get to the point of, of of Jean-Claude Van Damme's character actually running against uh, finding Fender's gang again um and they end up like crucifying him to like the like to the mast of a boat um that's a compelling image it really it's a striking image and it actually reminds me a lot of uh, last last month with Bloodsport when he was being like splayed for training um uh, mm-hmm. by um you know his uh his surrogate Tanaka. father yeah t- yeah Tanaka tough acting Tanaka yeah 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 um and and like so a lot of that was interesting the whole bit of him like remembering his rage and kicking apart the mass to knock it down it's like there were there that was interesting um but it's even with that like image which is kind of striking there was nothing there and it just was very frustrating to me where it's like i feel like the bones of this movie are okay like it, it um and maybe it maybe it's because I'm being kind of forgiving because I was talking to Steve before start recording, watching the Star Wars prequels where I feel like there's the bones of a good idea in there, but the the movies aren't great. There's there's interesting bones to this film. It's just not it's never handled well. And like you could have probably started the film off with him crucified and been like, you know, how did we get here? Which I, I don't always like that as a narrative device, mm-hmm. but it would get your attention of like, this guy's crucified on a boat that's abandoned. Like, what is going on? Yeah. You know, and you could like maybe at least get some more of that. But yeah, I just every single time there's the chance for like actual drama and character development, the the movie just turns away from it and just goes into a slow motion action sequence. Yeah, I mean, I think before we started uh, recording tonight, I referred to the movie as yelling the movie. Yes. Because uh, uh, if, if dialogue isn't spoken, it's just two people yelling at each other for the rest of the movie. Um, mm. I should say the sparse dialogue that is spoken, most of it is just people yelling at each other. Um, literally the entire like end fight is them yelling for, I'd say, a good solid five wow. minutes. Yeah. Um, and not even yelling at like lines at each other, just just yelling. 
Um, for me, um, I absolutely understand because I'm not that well versed in westerns, so I, I get the references that you're making. I can totally see where that's coming from. But for me, when I was watching it, I had a <laughs> my first thought was, "This is like, wow, somebody really liked the mutant leader and the uh, gang in Dark Knight Returns." <laughs> Because it felt very much like that guy's Fender is supposed to be the mutant leader. Yeah. Um, because they even well, kind of have when a, did When did Dark Knight Returns come out as a comic? That was 86. Okay, so fair enough. It could actually have happened. And I don't know that he read it. I don't know that that's what his inspiration was for. But I, that's the vibe that I got. Um, when it came to the, the central plot and the characters, you know, you're right. I, even though, you know, Bloodsport isn't a masterpiece i still enjoy that movie a great deal and i don't know if i'd say that i ever got to the point where i care about the characters but you do at least no that's not true because when ray jackson uh gets you know beat down you care that he's been beat down uh even though it's because he's a big dumb idiot um but with this there's no real weight um even though that flashback tries to add it in Mm -hmm. i think the fact that it's strung throughout the entire movie takes its impact away yeah um and you're also supposed to surmise that the little girl has grown up oh yeah because that's the thing too so the one with the mangled hands from the barbed wire is actually part of fender's gang yeah and that doesn't really ever pay off like no. like they, they could at least show like a bit of her hands like with the scarring on it or something they didn't do that like you got like the whole thing of like she sees um rickenbacker and they have like a connection and they have like a shared like necklace that they have. Like you get it, but it's like, well, cause like it's like a St. Christopher's medal. says B, uh, B F R. Yeah. says S T and then I N D S. Yeah. Right. Best friends. Yeah. Um, let's hang out. No, it's, that's not what it means. Uh, so, uh, and I also, I should correct. I meant to mention, so let me get my facts straight. Once upon a time in the West, it was Charles Bronson's character supporting his brother on his shoulders mm. and he was like, like losing stamina. So the bad guy stuffed a harmonica in his mouth to make it worse. And then as he like lost his ability to function, he caused his brother to hang. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. Still pretty messed up. I would also argue being stuck in a well full of barbed wire is also really messed up. I just, whatever. Anyway, that's, I mean, it's effective in the sense that like, it's, an interesting idea. It's just not executed that well. Well, I also like the idea that Charles Bronson character was just identified as harmonica through the whole film of Once Upon a Time in the West. And this Jean-Claude Van Damme's character is called Rickenbacker, but there's never once involved a guitar involved in his backstory. It'd been great where it's like, this is all guitar string. Like, yeah. oh, okay. That makes more sense. Um, so no, it's just, so I let me just say this positives for the film is that as ridiculous as everything was, uh, the guy who played Fender was menacing enough and he actually had that kind of like just you know, 80s villain over the top like i have the deep voice i'm gonna take my glasses off sometimes you're gonna see my really pretty eyes which i don't know if they're implying that he was also cybernetic because his eye color was very similar to the cyborg whenever she was processing information i don't because she also talked about like we can't defeat him without help I think it was supposed to be applied that he was augmented somehow. It just never got across in the film. No, no, not never once. No, I, I never got the feeling that, uh, 
I I never got the feeling that he was anything other than just being the bad guy because he was the bad guy in the movie. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's funny because uh, again, this is pre-show. We keep bringing things up that we talked about. Yeah, you guys should have been there. It was pretty great. Uh, but I mentioned uh, in answer to one of your questions about Star Wars, because you know, I was like, because it's a movie. And this very much feels like, why is he the bad guy? Because it's a movie. Yeah. It just, like, that's it, basically it. This feels like it was a script put together in 20, sorry, 48 hours, like over a really busy weekend. So I, I was a part of the 48-hour um, film project that is a contest that happens once a year that like travels the country, and they did it in Cleveland. Um, they, do, they do it once a year in Cleveland where they give you a, a theme, a character's name, a bit of dialogue, and an object and the goal is so they'll give you like a genre and you have to go make a short film that's like seven to ten minutes and but the so they know they're keeping you honest it has to include that character they give you that line of dialogue and that prop and so we didn't know what genre we were getting when they pulled out of a hat so we actually had to come up with an entire like short film within 48 hours that was stressful as all get out that was like seven to ten minutes and even then we're like how do we end it how do you come up with like a 90 minute feature where it's like, I don't know, they walk from New York to, to Atlanta. Like, okay, that tracks like what? <laughs> like, like they could have picked the, like they could have picked the end point to be anywhere. Like that's, I think it's another problem with this film is that it tried to go really, really big where they had no right being big. Yeah. Like it could have been like the world is over and we're in North Carolina. Like you could have just said it there. It doesn't matter where it's like, and there's a person who's a courier that has information that has to have safe travel to where the scientists are, wherever that is. You know, like there was no point to try to blow this out and make this New York and Atlanta. I don't know why those were the endpoints. Um, and you could have still had a compelling, interesting story. Like, I feel like the lanes were so narrow because of the budget and time frame that that should have been viewed as a strength whenever it actually overall became a weakness in this film. It tried to go too big with its, its world building and it couldn't deliver on any of it. And I think that was a frustration because again, if you recognize that you can't do certain things, then come up with a creative way to get your story through. I think that's a bigger challenge. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the uh, the Ed Wood analogy in the sense of like biting off more than you can chew and like well I've got these things so I can I can I'm going to make out make what I can out of it, you know. Um, I, I can appreciate that to a point. Well, it's interesting because like uh I've heard Robert Rodriguez talk about when he was making um El Mariachi. El Mariachi, you know, he was like, well, I just, first thing I did was I just took stock of what I had available to me. Mm -hmm. He's like, and I knew that I was going to write those things into the script, which is kind of the situation uh, Pune was in. But then he didn't, how do I put this? He didn't find imaginative ways to showcase those things and didn't find ways to make the story compelling enough for those things that he has available. And it's sort of like saying, like, I have the things to build a car. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, like, even with um, El Mariachi, there was bits where the, 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 um, the guitar case that was supposed to be holding all the guns, like, there was a bit, I, I can't remember the context, but, like, yeah, Rodriguez is like, I couldn't show show certain things, so I just spray-painted the hell out of that guitar case, and then I had people react to what was in it. It's like, you get the point across, you understand what you can't do, but you can still get the story across. Mm -hmm. And you have an asset like Jean-Claude Van Damme, who uh, should note it here, because much like much like um, 
uh, uh, Dudikoff with the American Ninja series where this is a homegrown canon like star. Bloodsport was a big hit. So yeah. not that uh, Van Damme wasn't other things, I guess, after this, but the canon's kind of where he got established. Mm-hmm. And so they offered him uh, to be in either Delta Force 2, American Ninja 3, or Cyborg. He chose Cyborg, and he later says, I didn't like that film so much. <laughs> um, so you have this asset and you see his physicality that was on display amazingly so in Bloodsport. And, and even after the fact, learning that he took this film and told, um, Golan and Globus, cause it test screened horribly out of a hundred people. One person said they liked it and they're like, we need to release this. But they're saying is we're bankrupt. Can we just release this? He was like, no, give me two months. He actually went through and edited the film to make the action tighter. Um, which I mean, Makes you wonder what was originally on the screen, but well, that's why when you mentioned the director's cut, I'm like, good God, what was that movie like? Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair though, like even though the action, a lot of it's slow motion and kind of robs the action of the impact of it, you never once doubt that Van Damme is not still awesome at what he's doing. Like, there's some great, like the bit where he's doing like the split and the the in the sewer as badly as that ha- is handled, the visual of him holding himself up like against the walls of the sewer with the knife raised above his head is still great. Cause it's like, he's actually doing that. And it's like crazy. So like, I can appreciate all that. So he actually took the film and edited it and made the, like made the action a little bit more palpable, but like you have that asset and you have like, I don't know, buildings that aren't functional or whatever the set is that's supposed to be for Spider-Man, I guess. I don't know. Like, why not like actually just lean into the action and make it more interesting like then I think that I think the film would have better legs. Like, I, I don't know about you, but this has always been one that's like, I'm not saying talked about like hushed tones of like reverence, but there's kind of some love for this film. And yeah. I don't, and I was like, Oh, well maybe this will be kind of like, like the, the happy accident because it was trying to like make some money off of two projects that weren't going forward. And you have a rising star and there's martial arts action in it. And it's weirdly sci-fi. Maybe there's some, like some goodness here. Terry, if you're listening after our blood sport episode, you know, I know that you were surprised at the amount of films that Paul and I hadn't seen that were by, uh, Van Damme. um, if you are listening to this, maybe this should have been the episode you should have been on. Because <laughs> you might have been able to shed some light on why you love this movie. Because Paul and I both came out of Bloodsport. I had already seen it, and I already I, liked you it. Know, I'd never seen it, and I actually ended up enjoying enjoy the film it. a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this might have been the one where it would have been nice to have you as the devil's advocate. Because yeah, yeah. I'm siding with Paul on this, that there isn't a whole lot in this film that I can grasp onto. Yeah, so it just kind of is there, and I think it commits the biggest sin of this kind of being blah, you know. Like, um, so uh, and so I'll just throw right, throw it out right now that I like your take that the film should have been called Angry Yelling. Yeah, I feel like a better title for this should have been Cyborg. I feel like that's a better <laughs> title for the film. Uh, so overall, it actually ended up making a fair amount of money for its budget. So even even with the two million that was already like set aside that was spent on the other films and the five hundred thousand that was given directly to the project project, ended up making um, like ten million total. So it was profitable on the tail end of Canon. Just not enough to pull them out of uh, bankruptcy. <laughs> they were already a bankrupt when this came out. So uh, real quick, I'm going to play a game of uh, higher or lower. Cyborg was the eighty fourth highest grossing film of, of nineteen eighty nine. All right. So I'm going to throw. Uh, I'm just going to uh, ask you some some films here. If it was better or worse than um, Cyborg. 
You mean critically or financially? Um, financially. Okay. Uh, Police Academy 6, City Under Siege. I'm going to say worse. Better. Really? I didn't even think that one went to theaters. It did, I guess. And it ended up making a little bit more than uh, Cyborg. Um, uh, Deep Star 6. That had to have done better. Did worse. Really? <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, the Wizard with Fred Savage. That had a Nintendo tie in it. Had it had to have done Super better. Mario Bros. 3. That's why everyone went. It yeah. did do better. Um, yeah. So um, oh, let's see what else we got here. Just uh, we'll... we'll... Uh, let's see here. Roger and me, the Michael Moore documentary about, um, the, you know, Detroit, uh, auto workers. I think. Yes. Um, God, it's a documentary. So there's part of me that thinks it did worse, but I'm going to say better. It, it did was a worse. pretty big, really. But, but Roger and me, I think has gotten like more like acclaim as it went along. Okay. Also, it's a documentary, so it's a limited audience, right? UHF better or worse than cyborg? Worse. Worse. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Um, UHF is in is a gem of a movie. It, so. It's it's a, a wonderful. Uh, Earth Girls are easy, better and worse than Cyborg. You got your Jeff Goldblum in that again. That was one that I didn't even realize went to theaters. I thought that was like a direct video. Um, Jim Carrey's in that too, and Damon Wayans, I think. It's, yeah, it, yeah. And for some reason, Ed Begley Jr. I think, but I probably. Think, yeah. Oh no, um, no, isn't uh, isn't Jeff Goldblum in it? The Jeff Goldblum is in it. Yeah, Gene Davis, that? I think, yeah, I think's in it too. Yeah, yeah. Worse. It did do worse. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't even realize oh, that went to theaters. Wow. Um, let's see what else we got here. I, this is this is just fun because you're like, I don't I don't know. Like, it's, there's a lot of this, and you're like, maybe. Uh, Halloween Five: The Revenge of Michael Myers. Better that did or worse. worse. It did better. Really? Than Cyborg. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, oof, that's a real Leviathan, which was competing with Deep Star Six. Better or worse than um. Better. Better. Yeah. Shocker. Oh, Wes Craven's Shocker. Uh... With Mitch Pileggi as uh... the lead. Better. It did do better. So. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll just briefly hear. So we, I just want to say this about Shocker. Uh, I've not was, seen this in forever. That's a movie I want to revisit because I had fun with it when I watched it's it. It's not even about the movie. It's just that when uh, um, at that time was when I was really getting into comics. And like for three months straight, it felt like every comic that I bought came with like a fold out shocker poster <laughs> so I, I have a feeling if i went through my comic book collection and pulled them all out i'd probably have at least 30 different shocker posters i, I remember at the time when i was buying comics that was like whenever the limited run of the original lobo series from uh-huh. dc like it felt like every issue had like a little like gatefold um poster for predator 2 okay. <laughs> <laughs> and i thought it was awesome but i also was not going to pull out pull the out, comic because right. yeah, like, they had a breakdown of his weapons i'm like this is cool i am not taking this saw the comic um all right so yeah so the film made money and it actually spawned some sequels but uh which so <laughs> cyborg 2 starring uh elias Coteus, who was in he's uh, uh he's um in uh teenage Ninja, Ninja turtles right yeah. yeah and angelia jolie was in the sequel to the cyborg Shut 2 up. i right wow <laughs> I kind of want to watch this now because I'm like, what happened? Because she wasn't anybody yet. She was still the daughter of John Voight, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. It was released in 93. There was other sequels too, and none of them really tied to each other. Surprise, surprise. Um, so I have to mention here too that uh, Jackson Rock uh, Pickney 
who played one of Fender's pirates, lost an eye during filming when Jean-Claude Van Damme actually struck his eye with a prop knife. So that happened. Yeah, um, I, I read that, and I guess he took Van Damme to court. And won. And he, he took to a court in North Carolina, a.k.a. New York and, and uh, Atlanta, and was awarded 485000 in damages, which is almost the budget of the film. Like, again, rightfully so. I mean, I get that. Yeah, you know, it's it, it. How how do you value someone's eye? You know, right. so you know whatever. So so to say the set was the probably the safest thing is probably not accurate. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. That's that's all I have. Like I just this film. I don't know. Like I feel I feel bad because it's our last film that we're doing uh, in the podcast for the year of canon. You wanted to end on a high note. Well, I mean, a interesting note. And I mean, it's interesting in, in that uh, it's at least sparked more talk about on it than I thought we were going to get out of it. But. Yeah, I mean, you know, so. Um, all right. So before we kind of wrap up our year of canon in general, let's uh, let's just let's do our, our questions that we have that we have for the for the unless you have any other insight into um, Cyborg that you want to get into. Nope, I think I've covered all of it. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So, our three questions that we always ask for for asking about uh, the year canon is: uh, Is this better or worse than the Apple? I know Terry's going to hate me for saying this, but I think it's worse than the Apple. It is worse than the Apple. At least the Apple like tried. I mean, I'm not saying this didn't try. Like, let, me, let me rephrase. It's just you could see when you know the origin of the film and like how it was just pushed through because they, they had to make something out of nothing. I can respect that. I still don't have to enjoy the final product. Uh, I feel like the Apple probably have more time to germinate and just get weird. And I will appreciate that. And it's got a more interesting villain. <laughs> yeah. And a better ending. No. <laughs> I don't know about that. All right. Um, Every movie should end up with God showing up in a car. If this movie would ended with that, that'd have been amazing. <laughs> Uh, I like there's that whole ending though in the film where it's like oh I feel like the real cure for the plague is people like him and he like and and, and Rickenbacker's like Ugh, and just walks away like what like, no it's medicine it's really medicine is the cure science not not spin kicks you know um, all right the Monocum index um, because this thing it, it was jammed together from two failed projects and also because. Um, uh, Golan and Globin, sorry, uh, Golan and Globin, yeah, Globus, right, right, yeah, Globulus, yeah, anyway. Globulus. Um, they were trying to say just release this, and then Van Damme's like, no, let me edit it. I'm going to throw out that this is like a really high uh, Monocum Index because it is a vapid film that's trying to capitalize on a rising star that's trying to still lean into like, well, we're going to show violence and we're going to do all this and we're going to show a boob. <laughs> Like, that was it. Um, and, you know, like, I just, like, I, I'm going to throw this at 100 just because as much as he probably didn't actively, was not involved in it, it was, it still feels like a fire sale. Yeah. Which feels like them in panic mode, which was a fair amount of their projects. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 
I, I think I always give a higher number than you do, um, but this time I'm actually going to give. Uh, well, I can't go higher. Uh, 110. But I'm gonna. I'm actually going to go at about a 70. Okay. Uh, the only reason I say that is is because we've seen Menachem Golan direct, and I actually think he's a better director than Albert. Okay. Pune. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll retroactively uh, I'll give you. I'll give you that. Yeah. So not a hundred completely. It does make me wonder what he would have done with this film. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, he probably would have gotten more money to it at least. Yeah. So, um, there, so I just also want to mention too, I, I had this in my notes somewhere that, uh, uh, that this film was so like heavily edited in like in Germany because of the violent content. Originally it was given an X. <laughs> it was originally given an X, but they took some, some, some of this out to the point to where one of the deaths is not on screen. So I guess a guy just disappears. I didn't notice at all. Um, that, that Jean-Claude Van Damme was fighting that he just, just disappears. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but I guess the film was like, cut so severely in Germany that it didn't even come close to like a feature like cut like, like 56 minutes something or something like that. crazy it's like what did you leave in <laughs> like i don't know all right so la- last question we got to ask here is would you recommend this film to anybody i'm gonna say no because i feel like if you want to watch jean Claude van damme on the rise blood sport is a great film to do that with um even for like even if we just sat around as like a group of people to watch it to make fun of it the film still kind of sucks the fun out of the room. And yeah. and you told me before we started recording that you ended up watching this with your wife and like, you know, it, it is worthy of ridicule in a lot of ways. I still don't know if that would be an enjoyable experience. Yeah. I think she, uh, kind of bowed out at least mentally about uh, a third of the way into the movie. Um, not that she was, you know, I, I'm not going to say that my wife was, was, uh, being harsh on the film, um, but I can, I could tell like, even when it started, she was not, it wasn't like she was even in, like there, there was never a no, point where she there was, was in, no buy-in of like, yeah. Oh, this is, this is going to be fun as opposed to yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, so I would definitely not recommend this to anyone. I, I guess if you're somebody who's like a big, a- big action fan and you want to see all of Jean-Claude Van Damme's movies, then yeah. Uh, I guess, and it is it is only like eighty minutes. I feel like it was like eighty two minutes or something like that. It was barely it yeah. didn't crack ninety. I don't think. No, it was it was relatively short. Thank goodness. Yeah. You know? Um, I guess there are worse ways to spend eighty minutes, but I would just say go watch Bloodsport again. There you go. So, all right, uh, to kind of wrap up our thoughts on the year of canon, um, which I know. Um, I guess I want to ask Steve this question because I, I've been trying to bash myself against the rocks to get my uh, the blog updated because I fell behind. Um, I know I'm like four short of doing 12. Do I have to keep watching canon films now or are we done? <laughs> can I be released from this curse? I think you can be released. Because uh, I So here's a spoiler. Uh, I've been struggling. I, I So I didn't tell you this, Steve, but I watched um, the sequel to Alan Quartermain and um, the King Solomon's Mines, I watched Alan Quartermain in Lost City of Gold. Uh. I, I, I watched it. And can I just show you uh, a gif that makes me happy? So this is a sequence from that film where I edited some of the reaction out of it because it's to make it faster. But here is Richard Chamberlain eating an apple, getting a, a spear thrown at him, and then continuing to eat the apple. What? Right? What? <laughs> <laughs> I cut out about 30 seconds out of this. You can tell that the sequence of him taking the apple and eating it was all one take. So he's wearing this mesh underneath that supposedly is like almost like bulletproof. Okay. And it's, um, it's Henry Silva throwing the spear at him. 
<laughs> who was like a really like just famous like character actor for like all these Italian films. Yeah. And the film's not good, but I still love Richard Chamberlain in it. <laughs> um, and I just love that he just kind of shrugs off like, oh, you just throw a spear at me. I want to eat this apple. Yeah, um, that's so bizarre. Yeah, it's really weird. And then I'm going to show you also this uh, Darth Vader himself. I'm going to show you James Earl Jones is in the second film. Is he? Yes. And he he uh, plays like an African warrior. I just like how serious he is when he turns and looks at the camera. <laughs> um, so here, here's the question I got to ask you. Like, I have been struggling to try to get through these blog posts because I'm a bad person. I fell behind. Do I need to continue on with this? Because I, I owe, we've watched 12 films. I've gotten through seven for the blog. It can, well, like, do you need me to be punished in some way of watching something? I've watched Going Bananas and covered it for the blog. No, I think that that's punishment enough. <laughs> Um, honestly, the, the only movie that we really haven't talked about, uh, one that I, I would be interested in talking about and we can save this for a future show and it doesn't have to be a year of canon is, is that at some point, uh, I would like to talk about Superman for the quest for peace. Okay. But, All right. Uh, we can do that. Uh, I don't think you have to continue writing, writing the blog. I just feel like I failed. I failed everybody. They're like, well, what's going on? Why <laughs> haven't you gotten to these poorly worded blog posts with gifts? Knowing that we've just kind of decided what we're doing next year and we'll review, review we'll get that. there. We'll get that into January. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but knowing if you are going to continue writing blogs, it'll be interesting to see what films you pick for that. That's fair. Uh, and I, I will try to be more like, to, so credit to me. I will say that I, for, Two well, actually, you know what? For the year of Western, I crammed thirty westerns in in like three months, and that was on me. But the year of the knockoff, I was pretty consistent, and I got through eight, seven or eight. I just said seven, I think, for the year of Canon. That's you know, like I just get to a point of like, what else do I watch? Like I, uh, I was about to watch Ninja Three: The Possession. I just, I don't know. That movie is a lot of fun. Yeah, I just, but do I have the energy right now no. to get to it? I know. I um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I still might watch Street Smart, which is the one that has Christopher Reeves in it that he actually agreed that got him to do Superman for. I, I just might watch that because I want to watch it. But if Steve releases me from my uh, my bond to, to the blog for the year, I'm okay with that. Um, I still might finish this King Solomon's, like, not sorry, Lost City of whatever. Because it's, it's, it's literally what it should be called, yeah, the Lost City of whatever. Because I like Richard Chamberlain in it. It's weird. It's still weirdly racist. <laughs> like it is. They're trying to find this lost city of the lost white race. Like it is oh weird. Uh, so anyway, um, so to to wrap up for what we're talking about here on the podcast itself, we've watched the following movies. We've watched The Apple, Enter the Ninja, Ten the Midnight, Invasion USA, Death Wish Three, King Solomon's Mines, Runaway Train, Delta Force, Master the Universe, Over the Top, Bloodsport, and now uh, Cyborg. So. Not that we have to rank them in any order, but like, uh, give me your favorite three of those. All righty. So first, I'm going to go with the obvious one, which is uh, Runaway Train. Um, it would be it would be a crime to actually leave that off. Um, it's a movie that I hadn't seen before. Um, it was completely, <laughs> which is unfair that it's it's completely uncharacteristic for canon and for it to be part of the year of canon. But it's, it's well, that's why really... I, want, I wanted you to watch it because I really liked it the first time I watched it. Yeah, I was I was surprised by it. There's some great performances in it. I'm not a huge John Voight fan, so I I was I think also just taken aback by how good he is in that movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I have to include Runaway Train in there. Um. You know, I 
I'm going to include 10 to Midnight just because that's a movie I hadn't seen until I think a year ago. Um, because I was like, I find out, oh, there's this Charles Bronson movie where he's a cop, but it's also a slasher movie. And the slasher, for whatever reason, runs around naked. naked. And you're like, this is some weird movie. And uh, I think that that was one of my favorite discoveries, even though it wasn't part of this series that I discovered it. But like a recent discovery. Yeah, yes. a recent discovery that I, I still really like that movie a lot. Um, there's some logic problems with it, but for the most part, it's a really, really good hybrid movie. Um, no, it, it has half, some positives yeah. to it, absolutely. Yep. Um, and then lastly, you know, I'm going to avoid going the nostalgia route and saying Masters of the Universe. So I'm going to go with uh, probably uh, Invasion USA only okay. because I, I really enjoy Josito's take on the action in that film. There's, you know, a car chase through a mall. There's... Um, houses being blown up. You've got Richard Lynch doing a, t- a totally over-the-top villain, mm-hmm. um, and you got uh, you know Charles Bronson with miniguns. I mean, I, sorry, Chuck own, Norris. I'm sorry. Who did I say? Did I say Bronson? <laughs> you you picked a Chuck, but it's not the right one. So okay, that's that's good. So for me, I'm going to throw out uh, Runaway Train because I like that movie is actually really really good. Uh, it has it has some it has some weird edges to it, but it's a solid movie. Like mm-hmm. it's it's one that I would have no problem. I'm revisiting you know it's it's wonderful uh and it, it deserves like it, it deserves attention um i'm gonna throw out enter the ninja because i had never seen that before and you know me i'm a softie for franco nero i wish it was his actual voice in the film but <laughs> what are you still, talking about you He's... still get you still get him winking at the camera at the end and his blue eyes i could swim in forever so enter the ninja was a lot more fun than i was expecting it to be because i had never seen it before and yeah i, I dug it a great deal um <laughs> a lot of cockfighting apparently yeah i mean that, for no reason yeah i mean you know you have that no no uh yeah there for a ninja film there was a lot a lot of cockfight but franco nero come on it was amazing and i i enjoyed it a great deal and then um yeah what's my third here uh like i think i'm i think i'm gonna put blood sport in there because i i it's always been rumored to be solid and the film definitely has some weird pacing issues in the first half but the action's so good and like it 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 legitimately is a pretty good movie. Like, and like, I, I liked it more than I was expecting. 10 to midnight's a, a close runner up just because it's Chuck Bronson and it's him like taking like, um, a really awkward sex device and <laughs> shoving it in the face, of somebody <laughs> over and over again. So that's also fun. Um, and again, and I, and it's, it's a far, far runaway, sorry, um, distant runner up, but there's parts of King Solomon's minds I locked. I liked a lot more than Steve did, and I know that. And I, Richard Chamberlain is is awesome. He's going to make some lady very happy one day. <laughs> <laughs> and the apple's just weird. I think that was a great baseline because it was just so. Yeah. What do we take away from our trip through the canon filmography? What do we take away from it? Um, I mean, definitely one thing is you know nostalgia is a dangerous thing. Um, yes, you know because I think a. A lot of these films are revered. Um, uh, Cyborg is one of them. Um, are revered for you know the time that people t- took these movies in, and you know they. And again, I'm not saying that you're wrong. You know, hopefully, you know there are people out there who really get something out of Cyborg. And if if there is, I'm not shitting on you. I just uh, I think that uh, 
the overall there's there's sort of a uh, romanticizing that goes on at least with these films. Yeah, it's just but the whole thing is like yeah, it's true. It's like I guess maybe because I'm watching it now in 2018 being, you know, like in my 40s versus like maybe when it had come out and I was younger, maybe I'd been like, "Oh, this is different and weird." Mm-hmm. Um now it's just flat and like not interesting. And I don't maybe so maybe part of it is that we <laughs> We have so much other cinema that's come after this that has much better pacing and much better fight choreography. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. But I also still feel like the film probably still would have fell flat. Even The score is just the worst goddamn thing ever. So, I don't know. Yeah, and I I, I think the positive, though, on the other side of that, though, is, is that I loved the fact that Canon... And it... it, it it worked against them a lot of the time, but I like the fact that they would throw stuff at the wall and see what stuck. So they weren't <laughs> afraid to try different genres. They wouldn't. They weren't afraid to try and mash genres together and create their own thing. They and chased do, everything. Yeah, yeah, I, I really. In an age where we bemoan, you know, superhero movies being, you know, the, the big thing, and, um, you know, there being too many sequels and like. Um, just the constant state of the film industry as it is right now. I I gotta admit, like I do admi- I I miss this kind of like craziness. You know, I do miss a company that will just like let's try it, see what works. Yeah. No, I I can appreciate that too. I feel like there's there's these outliers like uh like Blumhouse and like A twenty four where they're like I know they're more horror focused, but it's like yeah. like they build their credibility on like we're gonna we're gonna go different directions and you know it may not be what you're expecting, but we think that you'll like it. You know, so I feel like there's there's some of that pioneering spirit that they have from like we we talked about uh, before we start recording uh, Roger Corman yeah like th- like there's a lot of his DNA in in canon in the sense of just like we have money and people people have already bought this before we made it we'll make it you know like I still want to see Charles Bronson as the Gollum like I still right. want to see that film <laughs> I want to see the monster that ate Cleveland or whatever it was called I still want to see those films I want to see Bridget Nielsen as She Hulk yeah right that would be I don't know. Like, I, I still want to see um, oh, Michael Bean as Spider-Man. Yeah. It's <laughs> Schwarzenegger as, um, he was supposed to be Electro, if I remember right, in the original. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that was the James James Cameron script of that. Oh, well, like, we, yeah. maybe it was Sandman. Ah, uh, was maybe. it Electro? I thought it was Electro. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, but who knows? It's neither here nor yeah, there. Yeah, right. So, I, I don't think that was the canon script, but that was the one Cameron was putting together. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's this whole thing of this, like, all right, let's just do it. And I, I, there, there is some of that. We, Steve and I always joke about like when we dig into like Amazon Prime and you see some of the direct to video, not even direct to video, like direct to streaming, which I feel is sometimes even worse than direct to video fare. Like it's like, oh, the budget is so low that you can't afford colors in your cover art other than sepia. Like I feel like right. there's all those horror films where it's the same three colors and it's the same font. And there, there's something to appreciate that can do spirits. I like, um, there's a film that's over 10 years old now that I don't know if you've seen called primer that was, uh, made for like, I don't know, like not even 50,000 that, um, is a really, really trippy time travel film. That's great. But you can tell when you watch it that there's times where the audio gets weird because of where they're shooting, they couldn't get clean audio. Mm. And it's like, but the concept is so strong that you go for the ride the entire time. I appreciate that pioneering spirit. And I feel like Canon um, had some of that. 
and when we we learned about like when they stayed smaller and made a bunch of smaller films with smaller budgets and the one would hit big that would just fund the whole machine they had much more success there it's just i feel like um you know Menachem golan wanted to be taken seriously as like a film producer like a filmmaker he wanted to get that credibility in hollywood because that was the dream and he wanted to be seen as one of the big players and he never got there like yeah. they spent the money and they blew up like expectations for actors to be signed to things because Stallone got way overpaid for over the top. So Canon certainly broke those molds, maybe not for the best, um, but they never, ever, ever achieved like relevance in the sense of like being taken seriously. And you could tell that they swung so hard just to be in the conversation and they missed way more often than they hit. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because, you know, they tried to take their swings at big franchises, you know, Superman. Um, Death Wish. Death Wish, uh, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, they're kind of even all over in that regard. Like, yeah. they, they didn't, like, you know, they weren't just action films. They weren't just horror movies, you know. Uh, they weren't just sci-fi. Like, they they definitely tried different things. Um, and unfortunately, I think sometimes when they try to, I don't want to say, uh, I don't want to say go above their, 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 you know, their weight grade, but like, yeah, the punching, punching above their, their yeah. weight class. Yeah. Um, it hurt them in the long run. I, I think that Menachem, the visionary and Menachem, the businessman just, didn't see eye to eye. I mean, and there's other there's other canon films that we didn't get to, like um, the the Otello or Othello like mm-hmm. production Barfly, which had Mickey Rourke in it. I guess has actually got a lot of like. Is uh, that how you say it, Barfly? I always thought it was Barfly. Barfly. It was Barfly. <laughs> that is. Um, that's that's actually my uh, my canine sidekick's name and my then uh, my comic I'm doing about myself, Paul and Barfly. Um, that's it. Actually, that's the name of my older cat. That's, <laughs> that's his name's no longer Gordo. So it's Barfly. That's what it is. that's all he does. I like like tonight, I came home and, and my wife's like, he barfed three times. I'm like, well, that's one more than usual. Way to go! Like you know, he achieved. Way to go, Barfly. Um, so there's other. Uh, he there's also like a Norman Lear film in there. I was reading about that during like so they took chance on other other like directors and creators and they gave them like um they gave them the space to work in and i know there's a couple of directors that have said that their favorite people to work with was um you know golden globus because they not that they gave them a blank check but it was like we hired you because we like you just do what you want right and there's a space and freedom there but i also feel like Again, I don't know. Like it's it's a complicated thing because Canada existed. They made some ridiculous movies, but they also they wanted it to be loved and accepted. But they also didn't care about what people thought about them, which feels like that's a that is that stands like opposed to each other. Yeah. And but ultimately, and just I know we keep circling all this. I'm glad that you were game to get into this. This was fun. Um, and not all the movies were great. Um, it was it a uh, hard rock zombies, which you did not watch was absolutely terrible. And I don't recommend that for anybody to, to, to watch. I wrote it on the blog. Um, going bananas is, is a living nightmare. <laughs> I'm not gonna, <laughs> you know, um, but the, the, like you, their fingerprints are all over what they do and their fingerprints can, you can see the legacy they left 
and any 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 company that's just striving striving to do something different and just kind of be themselves. Like um oh uh uh, I've I've not seen films from these guys, but I've always heard them reference, and this is not the same thing. But Astron Six, that has done Manborg and some other weird movies, like they feel like they're gonna be like, not that they're looking for like mainstream appeal, but it's like we're gonna do what we want and we're gonna get weird, and you can respect that. Even like even like Full Moon Entertainment, they've made a living off of just being weird and mm. being themselves. Yeah, and I feel like. Um, well, trauma. I mean, tra- tra- well, yeah, trauma is like like they're they're like they were first, yeah. right? Well, I guess Corman and his stuff was first, but trauma made a career, made a, like made a living off of never having a hit film but making money, right? Uh, which I don't want to found get, their uh, their audience. I, yeah, I don't so. want to go into a year of trauma. That would just be weird. And that would be traumatizing. That would be just disgusting. I don't know, but um, I don't. I had fun with this, and so we know we know that Canon was responsible for. Um, identifying the breakdancing craze yeah. and getting popular, which we did not watch Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, but um, we know that happened. We we know that they were responsible for bringing ninjas to the forefront of popular culture in the eighties. Um, we know that um, uh, that they had no problem like overpaying uh, Chuck Norris and, and Chuck Bronson to make films, and that brought us interesting things like Ten to Midnight and Delta Force wasn't the worst film, and that felt like. Everything Menachem Golan wanted to do with like aging action heroes and a rah rah spirit, you know, um, yeah. I just this was fun, and I hope you got. I hope uh, I hope you guys, if you at least if you've at least enjoyed our conversations, it's been worth it. If it's caused you to want to watch these films, if you've never seen them or watch them again, I think I think that was worth it. Um, definitely check out Runaway Train. That's that's the one. Just watch it. It's really cool. Yeah, I. Uh... I can't emphasize that enough. And then, uh, you know, if you really do want to take a slice, because I, I think that documentary, Electric Boogaloo, yeah, uh, takes you. Th- it's it's a fun documentary, but it takes you through how much of the gamut they ran with the different genres that they tried. Yeah. So, so, all right, that's going to put a that's going to put a pen in um, our year of canon. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, next week ish, meaning that we're not going to have a show during the week because. Um, Next, on the 20th, actually, I guess the night of the 19th, um, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker is coming out. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. It's a film that Steve has been looking forward to. Small independent Look, film. Yeah, small independent film. I mean, Star Wars was like, sorry, A New Hope was an independent film. Yeah, it's it's Star Wars. I, I, I catch myself doing it all the time, and then I'm like, you know, I... It, it was Star Wars for 10 years before, you yes. know, like it's just, it's going to be Star Wars. Yeah. So Rise of Skywalker comes out on the 20th. Um, we're going to watch it. Steve's going to watch it over and over and over again. Um, we're going to have a friend of the show, Jeff Ritchie on. Um, we're going to record our episode, I think that Sunday, which is the 22nd. We'll have it up like the, like right before Christmas. And then we're going to take some time off because, you know, we want to celebrate the holidays and not worry about like watching everything in the world. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, I, can you guys, can you guys forgive us for <laughs> to, like, <laughs> to just exist for a minute and get through the holidays? Cause that's, what's going to happen. And then we'll be back, um, beginning of January. Um, well actually like the eighth, which I think is the second week of January with something else. We, we've not entirely decided what we're doing in terms of the first show of the new year, but we will announce our plans for our next year of, when we get there, I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be definitely worthy of conversation. Teasing that right now, um, yeah. So 
But sorry. I was just I was thinking the uh, first episode of the new year will just be the aftermath of the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like no no no. What's going to happen is that we're going to have this wonderful talk with Steve, and I'm going to tr- I'm going to try I'm going to see about getting another guest on the show. We're going to see if nice. they're game. I think I'm going to nudge them. Um, it'll be, I think it'll be interesting to get another voice involved here. Um, we'll see, but I think it'd be funny. We're gonna have this wonderful lighthearted conversation. And then like the week after she's going to be like, yeah, but the last Jedi, it's just going to be <laughs> right back to that. Is what's going to happen. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys, again, uh, I hope you guys check out that, uh, in the meantime, you can check out our blog, which might be missing some <laughs> entries to the year of Canon. Cause Steve is letting me go and forgiving me for my failure failure to write about stuff uh timely um it's invasion of the podcast.com uh we have um like 30 western reviews we have 12 uh year of knockoff reviews and seven year of canon reviews up there you know it's a lot of stuff to read and, and some of it's written okay so and it's all by me and then steve wrote a uh, uh one about his collections of the star wars characters and also about friday the 13th uh, that's been a while ago, but you guys can read about that too. Although there is a Friday the Thirteenth this week, so if you want to read a really old uh, piece I wrote about Friday the Thirteenth, there you go. Yeah, that's perfect. There you go. Yeah. So uh, you can find us there. You can find us on our Facebook page, the Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, uh, you can find um, us on wherever you get your podcast, whether it be like Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Stitcher, Podbean, um, the Corner Store, Family Dollar, wherever you find your podcast. Um, just you know, you could. I'm sure our podcast is that like in the middle of like all like. The knockoff like or like unsold john carter john carter of mars merchandise that's a family dollar and tomorrowland merch that's their family <laughs> dollar um i like to think that we end up at like ollie's wholesale <laughs> yeah uh wherever you find your podcast rate and review us that'd be greatly appreciated and steve how can people find you you can find me at the saturday night slasher.com you can find us also on facebook and instagram under the saturday night slasher and if you want to buy a comic or some prints or stickers or pins, you can go to our Etsy store at The Art of the Slash. Perfect. So, again, um, next uh, next episode, um, it will be uh, delayed because of Rise of Skywalker. Um, so I hope you guys are tuned in for that. It will be spoiler-filled. So oh, you know what? I'm yeah. just going to do this real quick. I just interrupted you, but it no, just made fine. me think. No. Uh, because we're recording on the 22nd, I believe. December 21st is the uh, Carol and John's Christmas party. Yes. Uh, myself, uh, Ryan Cassandy, and I'm assuming Jeff, because Jeff is usually involved, uh, will probably have artwork up in the art show there. So uh, come out, Carol and John's. There's a great holiday party every year. It does get packed in there. So usually you'll find us over at the Red Lantern uh, having a few drinks on our own. Yes. Um, but. Uh, is, was awesome there, was there a theme like this year? This year is just uh, um, comic book characters and Christmas movies. So okay. it's got to be the two of them mixed together, a hybrid, if you will. Right, can you can you tell us what you're going to make your cover of or no? You're going to tease it? Uh, I'll, I'll tease it. Um, for those of you who follow me on Instagram or Facebook would know that I saw a holiday film in the big screen in the theaters on Saturday, this past Saturday. Oh, yeah, it's the one that scares me. <laughs> yes. So uh, I might say that uh, it has the two of the... Uh, has that and another topic that I speak of quite a bit comic book-wise Perfect. on this show. I'm excited for that. I also know that uh, Carol John's, which they work with the Brew Kettle, which is a local brewery where they'll put out like uh, special beers for the holiday parties and stuff, uh, there is a... a Thanos uh, themed ginger snap uh, beer 
and, yeah. I, and I wrote on their page, it was inevitable. <laughs> and then someone posted the gift of the Captain America saying, I get that reference. <laughs> like, so that's awesome. So yes, uh, yeah, before uh, before we talk about Star Wars, come out to the holiday party if you're in the area. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the year of canon. And I'm not going to end the episode on music from the movie because i feel like you guys deserve better so there's a band called gunship that i don't know if steven's familiar with or not Mm-mm. um they're awesome and they do a lot of stuff that's kind of like retro and regard they do a lot of leaning into the 80s so i'm gonna th- close it without with them and i hope you guys enjoy it and if you like this song check out the rest of their stuff because it's amazing have a great week and a half and we'll talk to you guys about rise of skywalker Fingers once again.